Welcome to Communication on Point podcast. I'm your host, Dean Hefta. On this episode, we're joined by Allah Hunkins. His work connects the science of high performance with the performing art of leadership. He's the author of the recently released Cracking the Leadership Code and has worked with organizations throughout the globe, helping them to improve their results. Today, we talk about the three challenges of communication, the number one role of a leader, and what it means to be a facilitative leader. I'm excited for you to grab some insights from our conversation and put them to work this week. Let's get started. Well, certainly leadership is impossible to separate from communication. And I'm excited to have our guest today, Alain Hunkins. Welcome to Communication on Point. Thanks so much, Dean. It's my pleasure to be with you here today. Really looking forward to your insights. Over the years, you've worked with thousands of leaders and you wrote a book about it called Cracking the Leadership Code and certainly a tremendous amount of insights that we can gather from that. And when I think about leadership, I don't know how you separate it from communication. It's just so integral. And that communication side for leaders can be a bit of a minefield. And I'd love to know, what are some of the things that you've found that maybe can be traps for leaders that we need to be aware of? That's a great question, Dean. I mean, yes, communication is absolutely more difficult than it looks. And I think the first trap that many leaders face is, frankly, we, we take it for granted. People assume, you know, I have eyes that can read or a mouth that can speak or ears that can hear, fingers that can type an email. This must all be working together. But some of the biggest traps have to do with the fact that the human default setting for communication is flawed. That is, we are more likely to wind up with misunderstanding or misunderstanding than we are with accurate understanding. And there's a really simple reason for it, which is, no one else lives in your head. We assume so much because when we understand something inside of our brains, we think that we, that's what we mean. But to really align and create 100% accurate understanding, well, let me put it this way. I'll use an analogy. Dean, have you ever been to a carnival or state fair? You know that midways where they have like the ring toss? Sure. Sure. So if we use that analogy for a moment, if you think about the ring toss, just getting one ring around the bottle is pretty hard. But for accurate communication, you actually need to get three rings around that same exact bottle at the same time, which is why it's so hard. And the three rings are, what is it that you mean? What is it that you say? Right. And then it is, what is it that I hear? Right? So the fact is so often those things aren't in alignment and we don't take the time to ensure and clarify that those things aren't in alignment. So that is one of the biggest challenges and traps that many leaders fall into a lot of the time. So in your experience working with companies across the globe, what's what's the consequence that, I mean, there's some big things, obviously, if, if we're not getting those rings around the bottle that, that can be really disastrous, but what are maybe some of the impact that that has on organizations when we don't appreciate poor communication as leaders? You know, one of the things that comes up time and time again, and I'm sure the listeners can completely relate to this, is when we don't get that level of clarity, that level of understanding, is that people are walking away unsure. How many of us have had the experience of 
called call it the meeting after the meeting, right? So we have this meeting and then after in the hallway, it's a, so what do we just decide? What are we doing? See, the reason that communication in my mind is so important is because creating understanding becomes the platform on which we take all future action. So if it's a solid platform built on accurate understanding, we can then make great decisions, which lead to great results. But if the platform is awkward and shoddy and fallen apart, then when we make decisions, we're not going to make very good decisions and we're not going to end up with really good results. So it's so important for us to make sure that we're all clear on the same page. If you look at just the, the number, the amount of rework or duplication of effort that goes on because people went off and took action based on misunderstanding instead of understanding, it'll make your head spin. I and mean, it's just boggling how much work that involves. There's a story, I don't know if it's true or not, you know, the one of those stories that floats around that I heard years ago about a, back in the days when the uh, telephone companies had phone booths and the executive was driving in the car and his assistant was with him and the executive happened to look over at a phone booth and thinking out loud says, I wonder what that's costing us, just at a passing thought. And a few weeks later, the huge report, you know, Hundreds of pages of this report comes onto his desk and he says, what's this? And the assistant says, well, you wanted to know what that phone booth was costing us. And so we did an extensive report. And, you know, one of those deals where hundreds of hours goes into a passing thought. And I think that's a great example of what you're saying. We have these assumptions of understanding that can just spiral us off onto these tangents. And when you're mentioning the platform I see this foundation of a house. And if we if we don't really get that foundation established, everything we build, it, it's not going to last. It's going to crumble and all that work is going to be for nothing. And so what do we do about it? Well, the first thing I think that we do is we have to recognize, particularly when we're in leadership roles, that things are set up so that the default is going to be misunderstanding. And something that you alluded to in that story with the executive in the phone booth is the other big piece that creates poor communication is the power play, the hierarchy that is at work. So for example, if we're in a meeting and at the end the boss says, all right, so does anyone have any questions? If I don't feel safe and comfortable to speak up, even though I have questions, I am not going to raise my hand and share my voice. And that is, that's a dangerous place for any organization to be in. So I think the first place that we start is if we're the leader, we have to find ways to make it psychologically safe for people to speak up. And according to the research, the two biggest things you can do specifically, uh, number one is you have to be honest and vulnerable sometimes. You can't just be the go high, hard achieving I'm perfect. Follow me. I'm the superhero. Just walk behind my cape. You know, you have to show people times and places that it's okay to say, I don't know, or I need help, or what do you think? These are important things to do. The other thing to do, it's really important, and especially in a team setting, is to give equal amount of airtime to different people on the team. So that way, no one or two or three people are dominating. So once we start to do that and create that safety, then as it, when it comes to communication, 
we have to start thinking of this much more as a dialogue than a monologue, that it isn't about me. And think about some of the words that we use. We talk about needing to drill things down to the front lines. I mean, if that is not an industrial age metaphor that is a relic from the early 20th century, I don't know what one is. Because I have yet to meet a frontline person who has said, you know what? Senior management hasn't drilled anything into me lately. I really miss that, right? <laughs> so we have to realize that we're not dealing with human resources. We're dealing with human beings. So I take a very humanistic centric approach to leadership. And so we want to start by creating the safety and then creating communication and leading by listening. So, you know, Stephen Covey in his classic book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People talks about seek first to understand, then to be understood. So what are you doing as a leader to lean in and to get understanding first before you try to impart it? that there's two huge benefits to that. Number one is you get us, you can start to calibrate what is people's understanding? What do they already know? So do you need to drill down into more detail or are they clear on that already? The other thing it does, which is a huge, huge piece about building engagement is if you listen to someone and then you end up taking action, even if it was the same exact thing you were thinking, because it came from them, they are so much more committed to the outcome because they take ownership. They say, that, that was my idea. That was my idea. That was my con contribution and my comment. So I'd say you start by creating safety and then leaning in to listening first. Well, what you're describing there seems to me as more of a facilitator than a traditional leader. Is that a, a fair way to think about it? That is bang on. So my background is as a facilitator. In fact, um, I'd like to think of myself as I'm helping to move the shift from the authoritative leader to the facilitative leader. I think that in today's knowledge worker age, we have to stop thinking about leaders as the commanders in chief and start thinking of them as the facilitators in chief. And the reason for that is quite simple, is in this world, this digital world where everyone has access to information the way we didn't have 50 or even 30 years ago, suddenly with this information symmetry, you no longer are the keeper of the information, spoon feeding it out while you get to hoard it. Everyone has the access. So you need to do as a leader, you have to facilitate by moving information from where it is to where it needs to be and not just moving it, but transforming it. One of the things that we want to do with communication is transform information into insight because it's insight that is going to create great decisions and great results. I mean, one of the other, and we talked about traps before. I mean, one of the biggest traps that we face too is just the sheer quantity, the volume. People are drowning in information. I mean, back in 1970, the average leader, this is, we're talking about external communications. The average leader did about a thousand communications a year. Okay, this is a, a study that was done by Bain in 2016. So if you think about that for a minute, a thousand communications a year breaks down to less than four a day if you look at a, a five-day work week. I mean, can you imagine four, four communications a day externally? So that number in the 20 in, in this period has gone up to well over 30,000 a year. So you just think about this, the different channels and modes. There's so much information out there. You know, think about your typical day's inbox and how you're trying just to make your way through that, to process the emails, just to get rid of all that stuff. And so the challenge is how do you filter out and find the signal in the midst of all the noise? 
And so the more that leaders can facilitate that process and help people to simplify, because there's so much unnecessary complexity going on, how can we simplify how we work together? Then we can get to the work that really matters. So if I'm listening and I'm reflecting on my tendency maybe to be, um, you know, maybe I'm in charge of a team and I have a tendency to be the first one to talk and the first one to put an idea out and to champion what I think the right thing is. And I reflect and I realize that's my tendency because I've been promoted because I'm uh, thoughtful and responsible and hardworking and knowledgeable and all of those things that got me here. I feel like I need to keep doing those things and showing how much I know. How do I transition to a more facilitated approach if what got me here is a more uh, hands-on traditional approach? Well, you've, that's the $64,000 question, Dean, right? <laughs> so you just kind of name, you know, Marshall Goldsmith's classic book, you know, what got you here won't get you there, right? Um, the fact is those skills are very much in demand when you are an individual contributor and to be achieving. And let's make no mistake. I mean, they're very useful skills and when we are in a leadership role, we have to put those skills in the appropriate context. So the first place I would go if I'm thinking about needing to make this shift from the commander-in-chief to the facilitator-in-chief is you've got to connect and get to know your people. And the way you do that is through listening. So my, my book's subtitle are The Three Secrets to Building Strong Leaders. And the three secrets are connection, communication, and collaboration. And so I say connect, but one of the fast track ways to connect is to listen, is to listen with purpose, as opposed to what many of us high achievers have done, which is to listen to respond or to listen to correct. Like, look how smart I am. Let me show you. Look, look the point of leadership is to strengthen those around you because if they deliver great results, you're a great leader. As a leader, your results are not measured on your own individual efforts. Your, your results are measured on the efforts of all of the people you lead. So you've got to learn how to multiply yourself. And the way you start doing that is by listening with purpose and being really open to other people to start to facilitate and harness the potential that is inside of them. And if you just kind of continue to do what you did, you're going to shut them down and they're just going to be compliers at best. They're going to be compliers, you know, and just doing what they did, you know, and more likely, I mean, there's a good chance if you have talented people, they're going to start looking for somewhere else to work because they're not get, getting the opportunity to move forward. Uh, I did, I saw some interesting studies from uh, surveys on LinkedIn recently. They said the number one reason that people will look for a new job today is their inability to continue to learn and grow. So giving people some space and time and listening is the place to start. Yeah, and certainly the best way to learn is to do. So if I'm in an environment where I'm entrusted to take responsibility and do things and contribute to the problem solving, that that very much, I believe, fits into the learning aspect that people are looking for, the growth side of it. It's not just, are they offering online classes that I can take on occasion? I think that's, you know, that's education. But learning is really, uh, I think, tied to doing. Yeah, very much so. People learn best from experience. And if you want to pe have people grow, you have to give them those places to grow. And that's going to happen in the real world, not just online, <laughs> online, online learning course, course. If I want to get a better feel for how, you know, maybe my tendency is, you know, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not sure how I'm perceived. What are some ways that I could gather feedback from the people that I'm working with or around to maybe get a sense of 
my style of communication as a leader. Great. I'm going to suggest a really radical solution to this one. If you want to get feedback, ask for it. It's amazing how few leaders actually do this. And yeah, you can go through the whole formal process of, I'm doing this 360 for my professional development. Can you please fill this out? Frankly, I think that if you, you know, this, so much of this has to do with your intention. If you are genuine and you really want to get better, well, first of all, that's congratulations. That's the first step because you've got to be willing to put that ego aside. That's like, but I'm in charge. I'm the, I have to look good. It's like, you already have the job. Don't worry about it. You know, you've already got the title. So what you can do in terms of asking for feedback is go to people and say, Hey, I'm really working on trying to get better. What are some things that you think I do? Well, what are some things that you think I could do even better that would support you? And then when people are giving you the feedback, there's only one response, which is thank you. Thank you very much for that. And then the real challenge is for you to take all that feedback, start to collate it. Don't just get a data point of one, but you know, reach out to numerous people and especially go to the people that you're uncomfortable getting the feedback from. Don't just go to your people, your allies, your friends. Don't, don't just go to your mom who's going to tell you that they love you. Right? You want to go to the people who are going to give you the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because frankly, it's in those places where you need work. That's the, that's the gold. That's where you're going to grow. And so start to collate the feedback and notice when the same thing comes out from five or six or seven different people. And I'll just give you an example that happened to me when I got feedback and numerous people said, hey, Alain, you tend to come across like you're very intense and focused, but you tend to steamroll over people in meetings. And when I got a variation of steamroll, bulldoze, drive, leave tread marks, skid marks, when I like heard that five or six or seven times, I had to stop going, well, that's just them, right? So suddenly it was, well, seven versus one, maybe they're right. So ask for the feedback. And then the key thing is to apply it, right? So what could I be doing differently specifically? So you can say, they said, you know, you tend to do this. If they say, you know, you tend to be a steamroller, what would work better? Well, if you listen to us more. So now I have an action. Now I can take that and start to apply it. If you do that, if you are willing to reach out and ask for feedback, I, that, that will separate out you from literally 95% of the leaders around you because it is such a rare thing because very few people have the courage to be that humble, to put their ego aside, to say, I'm actually genuinely committed to growing. Because let's face it, the way our, particularly in our business organizations are set up in North America, there's not a lot of investment. I should say, yeah, investment or upside. Like if I have the job, I have the title. If I don't do this, you're kind of stuck with me as your boss. So what that's why people don't do it more often. So if you're really thinking about being this new kind of facilitative leader, that's the stretch to take. Well, it sounds like going back to what you'd said earlier, you know, this, this need as a great leader to be able to create a psychologically safe environment. One of those things is honesty and vulnerability. So by going out and asking for feedback sincerely, that, that requires a level of vulnerability. And then certainly I have to be able to respond in an a mature way when somebody gives me some information that I don't want to hear and not get defensive over it. But that is a great opportunity for me to be vulnerable with my team. And hopefully then that shows them that they can be open and candid with me as well if I'm leading that way. Absolutely. I mean, doing that 
I mean, ideally, if you are just starting as a new leader with a new team or a leader with a new team, and I've just, I coach leaders on this all the time. I say, I'm just starting with this new team next week. What should I do? I say, go on a listening tour, you know, go and ask each person, build relationship one-on-one, ask them about their lives outside of work, because you want to start to build relationships based on the fact that you see them as humans, as opposed to, oh, you're my salesperson and I'm your sales manager. Like, let's get out of the functional boxes. We're all three-dimensional human beings. So get to know them on a human level in some way. So then ask them some really open-ended, good, juicy questions like, what is the biggest challenge that you face in your role? Or if you were in my role, what would you counsel that I do? And again, the key to all this, shut up and listen, right? So it's just, just go on that listening tour and get information because what it, it sends such a strong message around communication and connection so that you can start to accelerate how you work with those people in the long term. Well, it's a tremendous opportunity because you can only have a fresh perspective for so long. And so that's a a key window, not only to build the relationships with the team, but also to see things with new eyes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you talked about this, this, this kind of window of opportunity. I mean, it's, it's amazing. You know, everyone, whether it's opening day of the new sports season or first day at school, our, our hopes and our expectations are high because anything is possible. So for us as leaders, it's so useful to step back and realize how can I capitalize and you know, not in a exploiting way, but in a good way. How can I capitalize on this window of opportunity? People are willing to show up. I mean, they're wanting us to be brilliant leader, leaders. They want us to be terrific. They want to feel valued. They want to be seen and respected and acknowledged and seen as these storehouses of experience, which they are if they're adults. So how, so tap into that, tap into that passion and that yearning that they have by listening to them and then taking what they share with you. That's the gold that you can then transform and multiply it over time. So your, your model of connection, communication, and collaboration uh, as being so important to that leadership foundation. Talk to me about this collaboration piece of it. You know, how do we how do we think in terms of facilitating more effective collaboration? What do we need to know about our teams and about ourselves when it comes to increasing collaboration? Because what I see is the teams that love working on what they're working on, coming to work, getting things done, have this really strong collaboration sense about them. They do. They do absolutely have this strong sense of collaboration. And from my research, what I found is that what the best leaders do to create that wonderful sense of collaboration is they see themselves. We talked about the leader as facilitator. Well, when it comes to collaboration, it's the leader as architect, specifically architect of behavior, a behavioral architect that creates an environment where people can perform at their best. And what I found in my research is that there are four essential human needs that need to be satisfied in order for people to perform at their best. And you'll hear them and you'll go, well, that all makes sense, but I'll just talk, talk through these with you. So number one is safety. Now we've talked about safety already. We talked about psychological safety. So if that's not present, it's very difficult for people to perform at their best. 
So you've got psychological safety. There's obviously physical safety, which is why, I mean, we're recording this in 2020. There's a pandemic going on. People aren't being face-to-face for physical safety because that's a need that outweighs a lot of other things. So safety is the first main need. Next big need is energy. So people have a need to be energized. And there are things that we can do to help energize people, things that we can do that are going to drain people's energy. Here's a quick, simple tip that anyone can do. And I'm sure we've all experienced this is if you've been in a meeting that's gone on for two, two and a half, three hours, and it hasn't taken a break, you know how painful that is. Fact is, biologically, we are not wired to really be able to focus on anything for more than 90 minutes at a stretch. So what are you doing to ensure that you're taking breaks at least every 90 minutes, if not sooner? So taking a break, I call it the 90 minute rule. Suddenly people can go off, take a break, get refreshed and then come back. It's counterintuitive to the mechanistic industrial mindset of wait, but we're taking a break. We're not being as efficient. No, actually you have to realize you're not dealing with machines. You're dealing with humans. It's not about efficiency. It's about effectiveness. So We've got safety, we've got energy. The third one is around this need for ownership. You talked about this a bit in the sense that people want to own their work. So no one likes a micromanager. So what can we do to create an environment where people have autonomy and have some freedom about how they go about doing their work? And the fourth, to create a high collaborative environment where people can perform at their best is purpose. People feel that what they do matters, that it has a purpose larger than themselves, because I'm sure all the listeners have experienced this. When something really matters to you, you bring more energy to it. So for example, what are you doing to remind everyone, no matter what their level or function or department that they're in, how do you remind them of the impact that we're having on our customer? Just a quick story. I was working with a medical device company and I got a chance. I was working at their corporate office, which was across the street from their factory. I got a chance to take a tour of the factory where they have these really complex medical devices. And I saw someone in there who was on the assembly line, which is this amazing combination of kind of high tech and skilled craftsmanship. And I got to ask her when she got done, her name was April. I said, April, you know, I'm really curious what you're doing here. And I expect her to answer, well, you know, this is where I take these wires and I put this here. And she said, No, I'm helping to save people's lives. What do you do? Right. So April got that. She got that sense of purpose. And that was no accident because that company, every quarter, they do an all company town hall where they bring in some of their customers, their patients that have been served by their medical devices and they share their stories. So again, it motivates people's sense of purpose. So again, the four needs, safety, energy, ownership, and purpose. And for us as leaders to create collaboration, we want to be designers of environments that support that. Well, I can see those four even being opportunities for leaders to sit back, reflect, and even write out, how am I doing in the environment that I'm creating as it pertains to those four? And what can I do to make sure I keep doing the things that seem to be going well and that I can improve on the things that maybe I'm missing out on? You know, I, I hear a lot of leaders saying, you know, I... I don't take enough time to really talk about why we're doing what we're doing and the impact that we're having. And that's a a big opportunity for me. And I think that's pretty common. We get so focused on the doing of the day that we miss out on bringing people back to what is it we're trying to accomplish here and whose lives are we really having an impact on? 
Yeah, so much, so much. It's so easy to get focused on that and lose sight of that bigger picture. And so, you know, this is why the book is filled with this specific, here's some tools, techniques, tips you can use, like the 90 minute rule that we talked about, because most of us are so focused on what we do, we don't step back and look at the process of how we go about doing it. And my work is all about the how. It's how are you showing up as a leader? How could you show up differently? How could you show up more effectively? And then giving leaders the tools to help support that because we all mean well, we have good intentions, but if we just stay focused on the what, we're not going to be nearly as effective as we could be. Alan, these are really powerful insights. And I guess just to kind of bring us home a little bit here, if I'm listening to this and there's one key thing, one big thing that you want to make sure that I leave with, what's the take home that I should keep in mind uh, when it comes to the work that you've been doing with leaders? Yeah. So the one take home, it's actually something we talked about, but I'll just bring it back full circle, which is, I think the number one thing that you can do if you want to accelerate your leadership growth and shorten the learning curve is ask for feedback. It is such a underused thing. We talked about it earlier and you know, as humans, we are notoriously bad at being good judges of ourselves. We tend to overestimate ourselves in light of others. So go and seek feedback from others and then apply it. And if you do that, it's amazing. It won't turn around in a day or even a week, but if you start working at that over time, it is amazing the improvements that you'll start to see. Well, and to reinforce what you just said there, I, I read one study that said only 10% of people who drive cars view themselves as a below average driver, which statistically is impossible. And I think that plays out in lots of parts of our lives. So the power of feedback helps us dial in, where are we and what can we do about it? So great insight. The book is cracking the leadership code. We're been, we've been talking with Alan Hunkins about his insights on helping leaders increase their impact if people want more about the book or the work that you do, where would you guide them? Great. Well, the easiest place to go, the book has its own website, which is www.crackingtheleadershipcode.com, which is spelled exactly the way it sounds, the title of the book. And when you're there, you can learn all about the book. You can download the first chapter for free. And that will also link you directly to my website, which is alainhunkins.com. And you can learn all about what's going on in, in my world and the work I'm doing. Another thing I want to share with all the listeners right now is I am launching a 30-day online leadership challenge that's going to be starting on October 5th, 2020. And it's going to be basically a very simple gamified uh, gamified program whereby in just a few minutes a day, you'll be able to practice the behaviors that we talk about in the book, but bring them to life with a community of like-minded leaders. Um, I have also, I've told Dean about this and I have three spots that I'm willing to gift for any of the listeners who are interested. If you're interested in that program, please email me directly, directly at Alain, which is A-L-A-I-N at alainhunkins.com. And if you want to learn more about the program, if you look under the banner on alainhunkins.com, you'll see there is a 30-day challenge tab and you can learn all about the program there. But I do have three spots reserved. And so if there's more than three people, then we'll do a random drawing and pick three. That's awesome. And just 
on the email that you send, just let him know, you know, communication on point podcast. So he knows where he came from. And I appreciate your generosity in extending that offer to our listeners. And there is something so powerful about being able to extend insight over a period of time, like 30 days to help us really build those habits and the things that we're trying to get better at. So thank you so much for that. And thank you for joining us today and sharing your experiences and your insights on how we can improve our ability to communicate and have impact as leaders and shift from that command and control leader into more of that facilitated leader to help our teams and the collaboration that we're working on. Dean, thank you. It's really been my pleasure to be able to get into these ideas and these tools and these practices and talk shop with you. It's really been a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you so much.